Welcome to A Working Title, a podcast that offers a unique perspective on the various paths to success. We dive into the stories and experiences of those who are in the thick of it, those who are navigating the early stages of their journey. These are the voices that often go unheard, yet they offer valuable insight and lessons for us all. We believe that everyone's journey is deserved to be shared and worth celebrating, no matter how big or small the steps taken may be. Whether it's a career move, a business venture, or even a major life decision, we explore the highs and the lows of those who are taking the bold leaps of faith. Join us as we gather honest and authentic conversations that offer a glimpse into the hopes, fears, and dreams of those who are hoping to make their mark into the world. Success is never guaranteed, but the journey itself is always worth the ride. Lorna, hi. Hi, how you doing? Good, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. I had a chilled Friday evening, so feeling good today. Good. Yeah. <laughs> it's always essential. Yeah, it's not normal. So. <laughs> yeah, I know, once, a, once in a rarity. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this podcast is all about challenging the status quo and ultimately giving people a voice that do so and something that I always noticed about you from the minute that I met you was that you sort of thought about things differently you never took reality for what it actually was so the first question that I wanted to ask was where did this come from and yeah was there any specific place that that you can think of in terms of how that related to your life now I think I especially over the last few years, hate to say it almost, have been in a bit of a battle with life. So I guess going back to my childhood, um, I had quite a turbulent relationship with my mum. For example, she um, is an alcoholic who's been going through a lot of stuff throughout her entire life. And it kind of affected our dynamic and how I grew up and... I guess how I modeled behavior and everything around it. And like, I'm pleased to say like, we're getting to a better place there, but um, I've always had this like attitude of like, oh, why does it have to be this way? What's going on? And kind of for ages just accepted, this is the way it is, this is the way it is. And then I guess moving into, like going through school and then moving through um, university, I have actually, along with so many people, like suffered from stuff like eating disorders, depression, um, anxiety, OCD. With the OCD, it's um, something that I've diagnosed myself, (laughs) but it's so apparent, it's it's so annoying. Um, And there's just all these things that I've dealt with. And then loads of situations with people that I've met um, that in my humble opinion, haven't treated me right. um, And situations I've been thrown into, I'm like, that's unfair. So I've just got to this point where I'm like, enough is enough. And I I don't want to accept substandard. I just want to push everything to be better for myself also because I believe it can be ultimately better for everyone else. Um, and I think it's a consistent journey I'm on and I'm only maybe like a quarter of the way through it. Um, and I'm getting myself to a much better place with all that. Um, but the, the evolution of it is, yeah, just not being a victim. So originally it was like, right, I'm going to fight the man because... Um, I feel like a victim and I'm just going to fight back. But it's like, no, it's because um, there's a better solution for all. And I think that's the evolution that I want to get to. Mm. What age 
did you first know that your mum was an alcoholic? It's it's a weird one because when I look back at my childhood, I have a lot of blanks now. Um, but I have these significant moments that I remember. So three come to mind, and that like it's quite. I'm shocked when I think about them. Like one, um, I think I was in primary school and I went downstairs late as always, getting told off because I didn't want to leave my bed. Um, and I just remember walking up to the sink and there was this glass of orange juice. Um, and then I, I don't know why, I smelt the orange juice and it smelt of vodka. Um, and I was like, oh, she's having a drink. Um, and I don't remember what led me to smell the glass, what happened after, I just remember that moment. And then I remember a moment um, more towards secondary school. So there's these massive gaps. Um, and I had some friends around and we were just having a joke and a laugh. And then my mum, because like alongside like struggling with the disease that is alcoholism, um, she loves to chat to people and get involved. And it's almost like she'll have a drink and then want to chat to people. I remember her coming in and me being absolutely mortified, like, she was slurring her words. She couldn't string a sentence together. I was looking at my mates and they're like, oh, what's this about? And I remember just being horrified by it. Um, and then aside from that, um, I guess, yeah, just a lot of memories of um, being at a dinner table and not being able to have a conversation. Um, so as you might imagine, like if you believe in all like the attachment theory stuff, it kind of put me in a weird place. Like, I don't think I left my family home with what a secure attachment should be um, because by proxy of that, I think it affected my relationship with my dad, my relationship with my sister. Um, and so, yeah, I just, it put me out of kilter a bit. And I think from that moment, I've been working to try and rectify it and understand it. Um, and I guess be a better person and build my relationship with her because she's mm. another human being. Yeah. So. I wonder whether in that situation, it's almost like you don't have that example to lead from. So you have to write your own rules. Yeah. And maybe that ties back into the challenging the status quo because yeah. exactly you don't want to take what you've learned for reality. You want to try and build something on your own. Yeah. Do you think that's true? 100% um, because there was a point, obviously, when you're a kid, you can try and make decisions for yourself, but you're never going to be able to. And there were loads of scenarios as well where I guess wired classes key decisions were made for me that were against what I wanted to do. And like a prime example, which worked out in the end was um, when I was going from primary school to secondary school, I wanted to go to the school that all my mates were at. Just like a natural progression, it was like our sister school. Um, and it was a good school. Um, it's where my sister went to. Um, they get good results, all this kind of stuff. But um, um, my mum just had in her mind, I want you to go to a grammar school and an all girls one as well, which really like <laughs> affected me because I was such a tomboy as a kid. So all my best mates were guys. Um, so I was like, I don't want to, don't want to go to an all girls school. I don't want to go to this new foreign place. I just want to be with my mates. And there is an element of your parents do know better in some respects. So I completely respect her decision to push me to go somewhere that she thought was better. But I was just a little bit like, Mm, I feel like you're making this decision for what it looks like and what you can tell your friends over what is best for me. And so there's all these decisions that get made for you. And then as soon as I was let free at university, it just became 
a bit rebellious, I guess, in lots and lots of ways. Um, some for the better, some for the worse. Um, and then I've just been like, it doesn't have to be that way. Um, there's different ways to do it. And I think underlying all this, like this is where my complete love of like psychology and all that stuff has come from because I'm just always trying to understand why are things that way? Why are people that way? Why am I reacting that way? And just try and work it out so we can do things better. Mm. Because do you think there's a part of you that is trying to still figure out what happened in those years? Because you, you mentioned that you had blanks in your childhood and it's actually something that I spoke about in the last episode of the mm. podcast. Um, something that my therapist told me, which was when you are young and if cortisol is high, I, you're kind of like stressed, mm. you know, the stress hormone, et cetera. Um, it hijacks the long-term memory processing. So right. that ultimately means that if you feel stress and you have stress when you're younger for prolonged periods of time, you don't remember things. So you get to 15, 16 or, you know, twenties or thirties in our case. And, <laughs> Still uh, working out. Yeah, I know. And, and there are big gaps. It's mm. something that I've, I've felt as well. Um, so I, do you think that, that that want to understand the human mind is partly to try and go back to your younger self and understand that situation better? Mm. million percent. Um, I think in order for like, there was a point during COVID, I think that was the turning point in my life. Um, so the, the you that you know of me is a completely different person to pre-COVID, which is quite interesting. Um, and I just got to this point where I was like, enough is enough. I can't keep repeating the same bad habits and doing the same shit that I've done um, and the same cycles and making mistakes. And I was just like, why do I keep doing these things that ultimately hurt me? Why do I keep like going home and trying to build a relationship, but ultimately shouting at my mum because just, I just go like that. Um, so yeah, it's it's just been a constant journey of trying to understand what's going on in order to ultimately forgive if I'm honest and I just feel like if I can get to that point of forgiveness which I think I'm nearly there um I can let it go and then like just will feel like a weight's lifted off my shoulder and I can use that experience to every single person I meet understand that they've got a history they've got demons in their closet and they're just trying to work it out so yeah it all definitely comes back from that one relationship, which is quite scary. Yeah, that is interesting. What what were some of the bad habits that you had previously to COVID? Um, so I I would say it was a bit of a party girl. Um, and I think it was partly because I was brought up in a family where it was like, oh, any excuse, let's have a drink, let's have some fun. So it just became natural. And then also it's just an amazing way to escape. Um, you feel like you become a different person. It kind of shuts off your frontal lobe. So you're not ruminating or worrying about anything. You're just living present in the moment. Um, and so I would do, yeah, a lot of partying, um, a lot of, yeah, just like not paying attention to how I was feeling. Um, and by proxy of that, I was always like running a little bit on empty. And so when I was approaching like friendships, when I was approaching work, when I was approaching many things in my life, I just wasn't my best self and also stuff like sport is really important to me and like when I was coming up to 18 I like I'd say I was pretty decent at hockey like I was playing at a good level 
maybe wouldn't have made it into the GB team, but could have given it a good old go. And then I just decided to kind of, nah, no point in that. I'm just going to go to uni and party and have fun. Um, and I kept that mentality through. Um, and I think, yeah, that's a bad habit that I've been working very, very hard on um, because I think it's a really bad cycle. And uh, I actually just love not drinking as well. Like you get so much joy from it. Your emotional regulation is so much better, all this kind of stuff. Um, I think my other bad habits is just, it's not necessarily a bad habit, but it's something I've had to work on is just my attachment style. Um, so I, this is once again, self-diagnosed, but I'd say it was anxious attachment. Um, and probably, yeah, because I kind of didn't feel too secure in the family home, didn't know what I was coming back to, didn't know whether it was going to be a good day or bad day. Um, so just like craving love almost. Um, and I think in a lot of my relationships, especially I went into them all guns blazing because like the solution to my problems it's like I finally found someone that I love and loves me and I just had my blinkers on so I had people that treated me pretty badly all in all and I made a lot of silly decisions especially in my first relationship that um yeah really like put me on the back foot and then when it all kind of went to shit um because it was yeah my first girlfriend and she cheated on me and then kind of left me in financial ruin, but I'm sure we'll go into all that. Um, I kind of took a step back and I was like, yeah, of course she has some blame in this for her part, but I kind of let it happen for the last three years of our relationship. And I made a load of decisions without having any self-worth, um, without like questioning anything, without having a backbone. Um, and so I guess feeding back to your first question as well, like I'm just trying to develop a backbone and push back and, um, have self-worth and fight for myself. Yeah, it's building those pillars for yourself and understanding what you need as an individual. And it's interesting you mentioned sport as well. because mm, Love it. I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, you've always been incredibly yeah. keen. Well, for within my experience of knowing yeah. you, it's always been <laughs> hockey you know, on Thursday nights, et cetera, yeah. like matches on Sundays, et cetera. But it's a vital part of like human behavior as well is play. And that's mm. something that I've twigged in the last six to nine months in terms of something that, can help my mental health is I have to have play. For me, it's like tennis yeah. or paddle tennis or, um, you know, just, I guess, running as well. But if all of your exercise and all of the um, the activity that you do is just like going to the gym and sitting there for an hour and running, and mm. it, it gets a bit monotonous. Yeah. And I think play is something that is ingrained in our human evolution. You know, yeah. we used to like hunt, that's a form of sport, et cetera, mm. play with each other, like so, I, I wonder, I think that's maybe a lesson that maybe everyone will learn in, in their own way. And maybe play for some people is creative expression. So it could be yeah, art, you know, it exactly. could be anything, but was it always sport for you that you found that like element of escapism? Always, always sport. So um, when I was little, I was, yeah, I played a bit of football, uh, not like loads and loads, um, but I used to like play with the boys in the park and stuff like that. and. Um, beat them up and stuff. <laughs> um, and then um, when I was nine, I got into hockey straight away and just absolutely fell in love with it. And I think looking back, hindsight's beautiful. I think it was a form of escapism. So like escaping the family home and all that kind of stuff. And I just felt like 
there's different rules when you're on that pitch or that court or wherever you are. Like you can just forget the the rules or the game of life and you've got this bespoke place where um, you can be in charge of it and the power is yours. You can put, don't get me wrong, like some people are born with the right body shape to be able to, <laughs> to thrive in a sport, but a lot of it is mindset. Um, so just being able to challenge yourself and get better and it's just about you. Um, it's just about your improvement over time. And you just get into, well, I do anyway, like a complete state of flow. Um, I forget everything else that's going on. Um, you can get angry. You can um, kind of shout at your teammates, but then you get off the pitch and everything's fine again. Like everyone knows the rules of engagement. Everyone rallies together. It's just like a beautiful thing. Um, I'd encourage everyone to get involved in sport if they could. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it's given me so much. Um, and I'd say... Like I believe in community as well. Um, I just think it's important for everyone to feel part of something. And if you're not religious, for example, or um, you don't get to come into an office that has any kind of community, like sports, another way of doing that. So it's like this consistent rhythm and routine in your life where you see people consistently. They see you at your worst. They see you at your best. And you know you're always going to like be involved in their life each way. And you don't need to worry about it. And you build these like fascinating relationships with people that you wouldn't normally chat to. Um, so yeah, there's just so many parts of it that are benefit to me. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I also don't think that it's a coincidence that you know professional athletes often come from severe hardships, mm. whether that's growing up in a you know a, a poor area, etc., or having hardships within their own life. I think that dedication to sport and mm. excellence is often a way of like therapy for them, which is, you know, sometimes quite interesting. Yeah. Um, I just, I wanted to circle back to that point pre COVID where you said that you were a very different person to the Lorna that I met. Mm. And just, I think for a bit of context, we met because we both worked at the same company. Yep. Um, you've, I think always been sort of my direct line manager, but mm. I more saw you and, and see you now as, as a mentor. But within that point within COVID, what was the turning point in terms of, I can't do this anymore. I need to have a change and I need to start maybe being a bit more self-reflective. Like, was there a, a catalyst? Yeah, I think, so the catalyst during COVID was that I got put on furlough. Um, and yeah, I would say COVID obviously is a horrible thing and um, no one wanted it to happen. Um, I think I was super lucky because it never affected me health wise and no one I loved got affected by it um and so I got put on furlough and luckily I was in a country that allowed me to do that so I'm in this unique scenario where I don't have to work um I have endless hours in the day I don't necessarily need to worry about money because you're getting some pay through the door to pay your rent etc and you just like okay what do I do with my time um and I think you had two camps. You had the people that were like, right, I'm going to use this time to just chill out, go on Netflix, um, like drink lots, eat lots, just have fun and embrace life. And I kind of just saw it as this opportunity to be like, right, throughout my whole life, I've just been like, okay, so when I hit that age, then it's all going to make sense. Like if I hit that age, that's the moment that it's all going to change for me. And I'm going to be this different person that I have in my head. And then I'd consistently not be that person. I was like, right, you're never going to get this moment again. Either we're all going to die from COVID or we'll come out the other end. So let's hope we come out the other end. Yep. And I'm just going to try and sort it out once and for all. Um, and so I went militant. So I, I was living in this like house share, but 
pretty much not too close to my housemates. So felt like I was living by myself. Um, so it was me, myself and I in my room and the garden. And I would wake up at 5 a.m., 6 a.m. every morning. Um, I got myself into a morning routine where I'd be like, okay, so if you want to be in a better position, you want people to respect you, you gotta love yourself. So I'd spend an hour every morning just doing stuff that I knew would benefit me. So putting on a podcast to do with news and learning, I'd do some stretching and just like some snack fitness. So um, it was a term I invented where it's just like little bite-sized things you can do like 20 press-ups, a minute of sit-ups. And I just do two things a day, but over time it kind of culminates into something amazing. so I'd do that. And then I did a lot of work on kind of a version of meditation. Um, so I've never been able to necessarily meditate, but I believe in trying to get yourself in the right mindset. So you can wake up one morning and feel groggy and just be like, oh God, I've got to do that today. Uh, do you remember what happened last night? That was so annoying. So um, it's just like this mental process I go through, which involves me thinking about all my allies or alter egos, which I learned from my life coach, which we can go into, um, and just kind of kickstarting them and just thinking about them and thinking about scenarios that will come up, um, challenging any negative thought I have and trying to put a positive spin on it. And then I make a coffee in my V60 and then we go. Um, So I got into that routine and like really drilled that, tried different techniques with it. It used to be two hours and I was like, you're not gonna be able to bring that into the real world. So I kind of shortened it down and did something that I could do consistently and promised myself every day, do it. Um, And then I got into a habit of reading for four hours every day, which is when I think about it, yeah. Because pre-COVID, like I read books, but not really. Like it would just be for a bit of fun. And because I was on this like healing journey, trying to better myself, I was just like four hours every day you gotta do it. And I started, I'd just read like one book and see how far I got with it. And it was like, it was so cheesy. I'd be there in my garden. I'd sometimes like read a page like three times over, place it down and just like look up and think like, it's mad, I I turned completely hippie. (laughs) Um, And then I started to like pick three books and they'd be completely different books. Um, But I would read, so one might be Um, like a self-help book about like rules of life. One might be um, how to cook better. One might be like a fiction book about, um, I don't know, a a lost child or something. And it's just like, so like an example of three completely random books. And then I'd read them one after the other and start to notice like consistent themes along the books. And then when I would read one thing within the first book, I would spot different things in the books that Um, went after it and I just found that really interesting and I try and do that all the time now where I don't stick to one book I like each day I'll read a bit of a different book and then come back to different books you just get so many different perspectives um so yeah I was doing that um learned an awful lot like there was a lot of psychology books um a lot of books around like you know stuff like your inner child chimp paradox um because I believe in order to kind of look forward and be a better person. You do have to sort out the shit that went on uh, and understand it and put it to rest. So there was a lot of that. Um, There was a lot of just learning about the world because I think with my defense mechanisms, um, which were very much like disassociation, forget about it, let's just have fun. 
um, I forgot to like take in the world a little bit. Once again, sounding really cheesy, but just like. No, that, that, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Because when you live in your own mind, it's it's almost like a weird sense of ego. Yeah. And, and you're not trying to be egotistic in any way, but it's slightly selfish and egotistical mm. to think and live in your own mind 24 seven because you're just, a, your world re- literally revolves 100%. around you. Yeah. And now it's almost impossible not to be like that in yeah. some shape or form, but it's amazing what you don't notice and what you don't appreciate yeah. when you are in this negative cycle in your mind. 100% and like you just, once you can kind of, yeah, get out of your head and realize there's something bigger than yourself, that in itself is a cure. Um, like I'm trying to think of like one of the great books I read, um, I think it's Tim Marshall, he does Prisoners of Geography. And it's just all around like different countries and how they're set up and the battles they've been in and how there's conflicts between different countries and how actually all it comes down to is where they're sat on the planet and what um, kind of mountains or seas around them. And that dictates their exact movements, their exact values, their exact enemies and how it's like, it's got actually nothing to do with the people. It's just where they've been plonked on the earth. Um, so stuff like that. And I just remember reading it and then I'd stop and I'd be like, oh God, I haven't ruminated in ages. Like, And then you're just like thinking about that and you're Googling it. And I just love that feeling. So just a lot of learning um, and yeah, trying to get out of my own head as well. I think you and me have had conversations around self-help books as well. They're, they're really useful. There comes a point where you just have to pause and just be like, I've done enough self-help. I don't want to think about myself anymore. just want to do something a bit fun and learn mm, and everything. Yeah, so, it's that balance between learning new things and trying to adopt new approaches that you yeah. learn in podcasts or whatever it might be but then taking that framework and applying it to your own life and making it reality for you yeah and I think if you're doing that constantly there's no time for self-reflection there's no time to give yourself a bit of a break you know introduce play into your life etc and mm. your purpose on life simply becomes to try and be a better person versus actually enjoying the ride along yeah. the way um definitely taps into a bit of my perfectionism as well which I don't know whether you share but uh, <laughs> not was, to the extent that you <laughs> no uh, <laughs> um yeah it, it's it's a really really interesting one in t- so if I'm someone where I feel like I need a moment like that in my life mm. I don't really know where to move forward I know that I'm not happy I've maybe identified a few of the pieces that I want to change how do I create a process like you did in order to make myself feel better i how did you know that doing a morning routine would you know help with that sort of self-worth angle and reading books would again like help raise your sort of general quality of life i think you you have to put the work in is the ultimate bit but it doesn't have to be a quick fix so if you do want to go down that route start by having small changes um so i guess yeah the starting point for me would be start to do things that better yourself and stop the things you know ultimately really, really affect you in a negative way. So um, it's the stuff like the making sure you just do a little bit of exercise, a little bit of walking, getting enough sleep, um, drinking enough water. Everyone says it, but fundamentally it's so important for your mindset. And um, if you're there not sleeping, doing a load of drugs, drinking a load, um, stressed out at work, um, just completely all over the place 
hun, I'm sorry, you're not, you're not gonna do very well and you are gonna self-combust at some point. So if you know you wanna change, just make sure you're kind of setting yourself up to be able to make that change initially. Um, and then, yeah, just make a small tweak to your habit. So I've learned mostly through podcasts and reading. So the obviously I was able to fit in four hours of reading a day, but just say to yourself, right, for 30 minutes, if you can, every day, I'm going to read and like pick some books out that are relevant to what you want to change about yourself or anything like that. And just stick to those 30 minutes a day and start that reading process and just see where it takes you. And as you start, the idea is as you start to do it, you start to love it and then it becomes part of your jam and and you don't need to think about it anymore. And you might increase that load. You might be like, right, I want to read for an hour every day. I'm not going to do that other thing because this is more important to me. And yeah, just build up an ecosystem of like learnings and different perspectives of doing things and and look at the people around you as well like if you're struggling and you're unsure of what to do there's so many people around you that have had so many different experiences and everyone knows something you don't so just start to have conversations with people and be like I want to improve this part about me I'm struggling with this part and listen to their advice and and get their help on it and listen to what's worked for them and what hasn't and use that to shape it but I guess, yeah, in summary, it's about knowing that it's going to be hard work um, and working out like a game plan to implement the change. If you are put on furlough, it's a lot easier. But if you can only spare half an hour a day, use that half an hour wisely and just give yourself promises. Like, I'm not going to be on my phone at that time. I sometimes just put a timer on my watch when I'm reading um, and then I'll throw everything else away. And I won't even think about the time because I know the buzz is going to go off and I'm just like, I'm just going to read the book and go. I often wonder whether putting in practices like that has more of an impact, more because you're holding yourself accountable versus the actual reality of doing the thing. Mm. So if you read half an hour you know, of a book a day, but you do it for a month, then you prove to yourself that you can and that yeah. you are kind of the master of your own fate. And I almost think that's stronger than the actual knowledge that you'll gain within that book. Yeah. And there's always a balance. It's probably at, at times you might read a fucking amazing book and you're like, wow, you know, that changed the way that I think about things. It's definitely happened with a few podcasts and books that I've read. Yeah. But ultimately, like, it's proving to yourself that, like, yeah, you can do it, you know, and, yeah. and, and maybe once you thought you couldn't, but now you can. And it's that, like, again, it's that cycle. And then you keep challenging yourself and you say, mm okay, well, I can do half an hour, let's do 45 minutes, let's do an hour. And like that framework for life where you just continuously build step by step, doing one thing at a time, I think is incredibly powerful. 100%. And if you can get to a place where, I think goals are important because it gives you direction and it makes you feel like you've got purpose and you're going somewhere. But ultimately it's about enjoying the journey and accepting you'll never get there almost. Um, and if you can get to that point, then it's a whole load of fun. Like um, off the back of all the little changes I've made across the last few years and like the the positive reinforcement I've got from it, um, it's just encouraged me to do more things. Like um, for example, obviously I've mentioned I love sport, just deciding to um, get back into football and just join a seven-a-side team with a load of people I didn't know and throw myself into that. And when you've played hockey since you were nine and got to a decent level, it's quite daunting to then go to a different sport and just start again from rookie level. Um, but just being like, right, 
I just want to be here for the learning and the enjoyment of it. And then going into each game and just be like, oh, right, that's how you do that. And like chatting to new people, seeing their perspective. I think you just gain so much from the journey of everything. Um, and like another area is like trying to learn to DJ. Quite a humbling experience for me. Um. <laughs> it's really hard. I remember we were sharing each other's mixes. Yeah. We were like, yeah, it's great. Yeah, well done. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe keep that to each other each other's best fan it's fine (laughs) (laughs) yeah just like all like this that's the benefit of it once you start on this journey of kind of self-development or just knowing that life is a constant moving evolving thing um and you just like jump on board the ride you can have a lot of fun Mm. do you do you want do you ever think that that attitude of you'll never get there is actually quite difficult to accept sometimes because I've had a similar thought where I've kind of realized that I'm never going to get to this like perfect individual and like actually it's the error and the faults and people that sometimes are the most endearing and the things that connect you with with other people but it's it's quite a it's quite a difficult thought to process in terms Mm. of I will never be where I actually want to be Mm. um and I think at times it gave me a lot of power because I was like oh, I'm on this journey, cool, that's great. I've got things I can work towards, but also it's just fucking exhausting because <laughs> it's constant work. Yeah. And that is a reality of life, it's constant work. But did you have similar feelings? I found it the most freeing thing I've ever done. Don't get me wrong, like it's hard to accept it. But as soon as I was like, okay, fine, um, you're probably never gonna get there. You might as well enjoy the ride yeah I just found it the most freeing thing in the world and I think part of it was because for so long um I'd spent like from my childhood university being like can't wait to be this other person that has their shit together that like has their own house is earning all their money um is in a loving relationship doesn't have to rely on anyone else all this kind of stuff just repeatedly life kept battering me and I was like, oh God, this is hard, but like, it's going to come, it's going to come. The moment you're just like, okay, it might not ever come. I just found the most freeing thing in the world. Cause then it's like, okay, we're here. We'll just keep going here. If we get anything better than that, that's a win rather than it being a loss. And I think, um, <clears throat> I think a lot of those learnings have come from a lot of the stuff I did around trying to understand like eating disorders and stuff like that as well. Because I was, I can't remember who was doing the talk, but I was at some talk um, <clears throat> at this wellness festival thing. And this one speaker, she was just like, what if someone turned around to you tomorrow and said, sorry, like you're not gonna change weight. This is just gonna be who you are for the rest of time. What you're gonna do about it? And like, the answer is you just kind of, right, if there's nothing I can do about it, you just accept it and you just focus on other things and then you thrive in other ways. And I was like, okay, like you can apply that to so many other things. Don't get me wrong. Like you can still work at stuff and still try and get the best version of stuff yourself, but don't stress too much on things that don't matter. And just, yeah, as I say, enjoy that ride. Um, enjoy the process, learn as you go along and just like celebrate the small wins rather than this like big goal of, yeah, I'm going to be a millionaire. Then you get to like half a million. You're like, oh, it's not good enough. Well, it is. Um, just well, need to change your mindset. I, I sometimes call it like the what and the if paradox. I think paradox maybe isn't quite the right mm. term to use, but this trap of saying, I will be happy when this happens. I'll yeah. be happy if this happens. And the if comes 
And you know, you say, if I get into a loving relationship and then you get into a loving relationship and it's not what you thought it was. Mm. It's not giving you the feeling, maybe temporarily it is, but it isn't. And then that's almost the hardest lesson to learn because you're there and you're like, well, what do I do now? I was mm. putting all these eggs in, in this basket when this thing happened and I'm here and I still feel exactly the same. I've still got all the problems in my life. And yeah. <laughs> I think that's, that's maybe a paradox in itself because it's the most liberating thing, but it's also sometimes the hardest point in people's lives, you know? Um, in terms of the eating disorder, what, how did that first come about? Was it a sudden realization that there was a, there was an issue or there was some sort of, yeah, like something that you had to address or, or was it pointed out to you? Like, how did, how did that come about? I don't necessarily remember where it started. I just remember, cause I think there's loads of different reasons why people have eating disorders. It, like it's a manifestation of lots of other stuff that's gone in someone's life. But for me, it was a control thing, I think. Um, and it was a what if, it was like, all right, so if I can get to this weight, everything else is gonna work itself out. And I think, yeah, I was trying to control what was going on in various different aspects of my life. Um, I was trying to make loads of people love me. I was trying to be a people pleaser in so many ways. I was like, if I'm this way, everyone's gonna love me and it's gonna be great. And the problem with eating disorders is you get positive reinforcement the whole time. Um, so lots of people being like, wow, it's so it's amazing that you can control your eating like that. Like I always eat the chocolate bar. And you're like, yeah, I don't eat the chocolate bar. Um, and it just, yeah, so it's positive reinforcement, positive cycle. And then you just get into a weird headspace. And um, I was very much like calorie counting. And this was all kind of secondary school time. Um, and I was, yeah, I was probably just doing like 800 calories a day. I know loads of people that do way less, but it's with a lot of sport. Wow. Um, that's, in I mean, that's incredibly low for yeah. that age, especially when you're growing. Like yeah. And like, so for women, it can be anything from like 1,600, 2,200, depending what you do. But like, I don't know, I just read some magazines. It's like calorie count. So just did it. Um, and I was very regimented with it. Um, and I remember like exact moments where I'd allow myself treats. So every Friday I'd have the pizza express margarita pizza, which was like 650 calories. And then that would be my treat for the end of the week. And like, oh my God, when I'd have that pizza, the urge at the end to just like go into a binge, I'd have to manage that as well. And you would like swing over to binging and then like the regret of it and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, that went on throughout yeah throughout a lot of secondary school and I didn't see it as a problem I kind of saw it, it was like a badge of honor at first um but then it got to the point that some of my friends were just like what are you doing are you okay it's not normal to like eat an apple for lunch like what's going on and um the problem was I couldn't really like communicate what was going on because I didn't realize at the time I was doing some kind of control thing I was just like this is just awesome this is like a good thing to do in life um and then I remember um two significant moments one when a family friend um just came up to me and was just like <laughs> something like I think you should have some pudding and like just looked at me and gave me a nod and I was like oh I'm okay thank you and she's like no I think think you need to eat more have some pudding and I just remember like us staring at each other, I mean, we're like, oh, what's going on here? And um, this isn't quite right. 
Um, and then this other significant moment where I was on my bike in my sister's room, just like getting as many reps in as possible. And my mum just walked in. And bear in mind, we don't really, at that point, didn't really have much of a relationship. And I low-key, like, thought I hated her and all this kind of stuff. She walked in. So my immediate response was like, mum, get out. Um, and then she just walked in and then, just, like, grabbed me on my ribs and just felt it. And I just, like, snapped, like slapped her away. And then she kind of walked out the room. And, <laughs> like, no words were said. But I was like, okay, I think the cat's out the bag here. And... um I mean, like initially I was just annoyed at my mum for touching me without permission. Um, but that was, yeah, a significant moment where I was like, okay, maybe things aren't right. Um, and so I did try and curb it myself and try and get better. Um, but honestly, it wasn't until I went to university that it just completely disappeared. And that's the bit that amazes me. Um, because don't get me wrong, there's, there's stuff I still need to work through with food and all that kind of stuff. But just changing my environment and being able to start my life again, suddenly like all this stress I had um, and all the issues I was facing, I was like, oh my God, I get to reinvent myself. And it just kind of slowly but surely disappeared. Do you think the change of environment was more having distance from your home life? Yeah, I think, so I think from my home life um and also this is a bit of a weird one but like I'm still trying to work through this um because yeah with my sexuality I so when I was at home in Birmingham um and when I went through school um I didn't really think about like being queer or being gay um just kind of was doing my own thing just like girls meant to be a boys all this kind of stuff and there wasn't loads of stuff out there to like really support being pro queerness and all this um and so like in, it was never like never thought that was in my mind and then I went to university and met my first girlfriend there and just kind of fell into it like it just happened like that and I was like all right this is my life now and it's almost like I had this sudden realization that there was this like whole other part of me that I'd hidden because I, I was like not thinking about anything, um, just having loads of fun, um, not really working out who I was as a person. I was trying to escape the whole time. And then you go to university, I'm like, oh, right. Didn't expect that one to happen. And so alongside leaving this home environment that I just didn't think suited me and I thought I could be so much more than it, got this second chance and then felt like I became a completely different person. And I was like, all oh, right. And like weirdly, initially with the like dating a girl I just accepted it straight away I was like yeah well that's that isn't it and because it was just like it's almost like I didn't have to battle with this oh I was that way and I really wanted to be away it's like I'm this new person now so I can be whoever I want to be so I think that helped as well like I just unlocked this very like clearly pushed down part of me um and then just gave me a new lease of life hmm. um did you did you always know what your sexuality was and it was a case of hiding it or was it more you met someone that made you feel a certain way and that kind of brought mm. the feelings out of you didn't have a clue like this is the thing so i've spoken to so many people that like the the girl i was with um initially it turned out she knew since she was four years old so um i think generally people know um 
the problem is in my circumstance, I just don't think I was focusing on it. I think my head was thinking about too many other things um, that it wasn't a priority for me. And I was certainly in a lot of groups of people that didn't necessarily agree with it or condone it. So um, I've got to assume I just pushed it right down and culture and all, all these things. So genuinely didn't have a clue um, and just convinced myself that, yeah, I liked guys, whatever. And then, yeah, when I went to uni, it was actually one of my best friends. And I, once again, I need to get a better memory because I can't actually remember how... <laughs> It started, we just started getting together, mm. which is, and we were just like, yeah, okay, cool. We're just like girls getting together. And then we're like, let's, obviously we'll end up with guys, but we can just have fun together. Um, it's all all the lols and all that. And then we got like six months in and both of us were like, oh, right. And I, I kind of turned to her cause I hadn't really thought about it all. And I was like, oh, is, is this a thing? Like, should we be together? And then it all came out from her end that she's always known she's gay. Um, she's struggled to deal with it. And then ironically, we spent the next year of our relationship, her struggling and coming to terms with it, even though like she knew all along and then me not knowing, but being absolutely fine with it at that stage. Um, so yeah, I didn't have a clue. She knew all along. So I think it just depends on your life scenario. Um, and then as it transpired, like over time, because that relationship ended quite badly in the end. Then I completely shut it off for a few years because I, yeah, the relationship ended badly. I lost friends over it. Um, don't mean to keep criticizing my mum, but she reacted really, really badly to it. Um, and I was just like, right, well, I don't need to be gay because I wasn't gay before. So I'm just going to shut it off. And then I shut it off for years and years. And um, it was actually during COVID times that I started to think about it again and um, just re-examine myself and unlock it again because I'd pushed it right back down. Yeah, I'm, what I'm hearing from a lot of the stories is this sort of like lack of foundation in terms of, I, don't, I actually don't know whether this is entirely correct, but I think that the stereotypical angle of, you know, like coming out, I guess, or, or understanding what your sexuality is, so that it happens either progressively from a young age, but people have always, you know, wondered or thought, mm. but that's quite, that's quite different in terms of it just suddenly hitting you. Mm. And, I, you know, I thought in, in that respect, it's perhaps more of a lack of foundation. You didn't have a safe environment to explore those feelings. So as soon as you did, it was like, wow, okay, what's going on and then that safe environment then again was sort of taken away from the relationship not ending very well and it's kind of like the the movement was more out of one of, of fear versus like progression and wanting to understand does that do you think that relates yeah 100 percent. i the this is what fascinates me about the mind as well like you can truly convince yourself um for a decent amount of time anyway um, that you're not who you actually are and just like shut it off and hide it. And I think, yeah, I was just very, very good at shutting off parts of me um, to the point that I obviously didn't realize I was and I didn't allow myself that progression. And that's why I would say like, I almost came out post COVID because I then did go through all those steps and um, have to have those conversations with people. And luckily because I was in such a better place, I could chat to 
all my different best friends and be like, um, thinking about this in a different way now. Cause they, like a lot of my best friends from London um, hadn't really seen me with a girl before. I never really mentioned it. It's quite interesting. And then they're like, oh, okay, cool. Everyone really accepting, uh, thank God. So um, I went through that process of like, okay, um, this is a thing. And also like throughout that time, I'd accidentally kiss girls in clubs and stuff and be like, meh, it's nothing. So like it was creeping out, but I was just like shutting it down. But then, yeah, I went through the, the process post COVID after I'd read all those books. Um, and yeah, I'm very happy with where I am now. I'm like really confident in it. Um, I have no guilt or regret over it. Um, and I have quite strong beliefs in it in that like, I won't let anyone make me feel like shit for it, mm. um, I guess. Which goes back to that fighting stuff as well, yeah. I guess. Yeah, and it, it, it's interesting because also on a very surface level, I think you just needed some positive feedback. <laughs> it, you know, yeah. you know, everyone's subject to wanting approval, etc. Like, I, I think that's you know inherent in in what we want, as I say, from an evolutionary perspective. But if you only had negative from these sort of like new revelations, it it's, again it makes you want to just you know mm. shy away. If you touch a hot pan and it burns you, you're not going to go and touch it again. So you know, it's yeah, again being given this safe environment to breathe. It, it reminds me actually, I had a fantastic analogy about trust and it was from simon sinek in his book start with why and he sort of relates trust to um like trapeze artists so imagine you're you know swinging on a rope etc <laughs> and um if you're swinging on a rope and you're a trapeze artist and there's no net underneath you then you're not going to perform your best tricks you're not going to try the daring moves but if you're a trapeze artist and you see that there's a net below you you're going to try you're going to go for the bold moves because you know you've got a safety net to fail on mm. and he, he goes even further and says well not even not if you know that there's just a net there but if you know that it's the best quality net in the market you know that it gets checked every two months and he was actually relating to like business culture and how you um introduce trust and if you if there's trust there to mm. fail you can allow people to really thrive but in this case it can more relate to you know if you trust that you've got support no matter what you do then ultimately you're not going to perform your best tricks if you haven't got that that yeah. backup 100 percent. i yeah and this is why i'm so thankful that i've gone through i guess the coming out journey later in my life where I feel so, so lucky to have like a really solid foundation of different groups of friends who are all different in their own ways, but I have really, really trusting and open relationships with. Um, I think when, for example, yeah, when I came out um, slowly but surely during my first relationship, so from the family side of life, it was, my dad was like open to it, but basically said, I wouldn't have wished it for you. And then my mum basically said, wish you hadn't have told me, keep it off Facebook. And we've never spoken about it ever again. And so it was, yeah, I, I, I get emotional thinking about it. Cause it's like, at the time I was just like, cool, whatever. But that's quite a significant thing. So no wonder I was like, if I can have a choice not to be, I just won't. Um, but more recently, like, yeah. So dating, I, I threw myself into the queer world. Um, trying to complete hinge checking. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, there's never a destination. <laughs> it's a journey. <laughs> exactly. Um, and yeah, just because like it's a whole new world to me. Um, and also we have to acknowledge like still I'm working on 
my attachment style and trying to be a better person in that respect. And like, um, I'd say I'm like an empathetic person and um, I just want everyone to be happy. But I guess I can sometimes be a little bit overbearing because I just, I'm a bit anxious that people are going to leave me and all this kind of stuff and just managing that. So just throwing myself into different scenarios, facing rejection, understanding the dynamic of girls together um, because you don't really get taught anything about it. Um, And yeah, I remember one of my first like six month relationship with someone um I was like fully in it because like it was almost like I had my blinkers on I was like this is so new and different and once again wasn't spotting things and all this kind of stuff and then it kind of ended and then I remember feeling like oh god this hurts but I just immediately went to my friendship group and was like god that was the first girl since um my original ex um I'm feeling this way this feels really overwhelming because it's like all this emotion that I haven't let come out ever suddenly all coming out at once and then they were just chatting me through it um like taking me out for drinks just being supportive joking about it and then I was like okay like I bounced back from that and then I I went in again and then lots of different scenarios of different types of people um going right going wrong and learning from it and um once again just in a much better place because I was able to kind of test the waters but it's maybe happened a bit too late in my life but I'm getting there eventually yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to ask in terms of what advice would you give other people if they're going through a similar situation? And I know your situation is very specific and very unique because of the impact that your mum had on your life. But I'm sure there are lots of people out there that are struggling with their sexuality or communicating that to family, friends, or even understanding just what it means to, I guess, identify mm. um, towards a certain sexuality. So given what you've been through, what sort of like lessons would you try to implement if it was a friend coming to you asking for advice? It's, yeah, it's obviously very personal to the person. There's loads of different scenarios they can be in. Um, But the one thing you 100% need is a good community around you and ideally a queer community. So don't get me wrong, I have a lot of friends who are in the traditional hetero relationships and stuff and massively supportive and there and can have banter with and all this kind of stuff so that is amazing so if you've got that it's a good starting point so chat to them um but also you just need to normalize it and maybe this is just my personal stance on it but it just didn't feel normal to me um I didn't understand it because I'd never really seen it around me and if I did it was shown in like a negative light so by having a queer community there's loads of like apps and events and or female sport maybe 50 percent again stereotyping um just doing stuff like that where you can surround yourself by a lot of other people that have gone through similar experiences had similar feelings because annoyingly everyone has to come out so like the thing about um, the early days of trying to go out and date quite a few people like one of the questions is what was your coming out story and you could do a podcast like that in itself. Yeah, and it's yeah. so fascinating. Every single person had a different slant, different ups, different downs, different ways of accepting it. So just hearing that, you're just like, okay, I'm not alone. Um, there's loads of other people like me out there. Obviously there's loads of other elements that make up a person, but it's such a significant one that I think that is the ultimate foundation. Normalize it and make sure you have like that support group there. Um, and then, only come out when you feel safe to do so. So 
I know there's a lot of scenarios I've chatted to people who were reliant on their parents financially. So if they don't accept it, it's just not the right time to come out, I would say, because you'll get thrown on the streets. And um, I've heard that happen quite a few times. And look, if people just feel it that strongly, go for it. But don't be afraid to like hold off if you need to until you're feeling safe and secure to do it. Yeah, and I, I wondered in that respect as well, whether you understand what why your parents reacted in the way that they did towards the news because you know i, I think we all have family members or you know friends etc that have very traditional in quote marks views on sexuality etc and i feel very lucky in terms of being in a world where things are changing and I think it's you know obviously vitally important to allow everyone to feel comfortable with who they are, no matter what what that is. But now looking back on it, can you understand why they did that? In terms of was it something that happened in their past? You know the bricks that they were made with that made them feel so negatively about something like that, or have is that something that's still relatively unexplored? So yeah, it with my mum. This is, I guess, the nice part, the beautiful part of the story. Like I've been on a journey to try and understand her better as a person and why she is the way she is and build a relationship and get us to a better place. And I remember this one, cause I, I didn't know much about her past for years and years and years. I was just like, oh God. Um, but I remember going home once and I was just looking through a cupboard, don't know why. and I picked up this photo, it's like this black and white photo, um, had this picture of this man on and my mum just happened to walk past. I was like, who's this? Like, and then I saw her face just drop. She went really white. She went, I thought we got rid of all those photos, took the photo, walked out into the garden and just lay on like one of the little chairs we had. And I was like, whoa, that, is an extreme reaction that is not normal. What is that about? Um, and it was one of those moments where I was like, right, me and my mum are gonna have a conversation here because we'd never really opened up to each other. And I just automatically walked out into the garden and went, what was that about? And she was like, that was my dad. And I was like, why did you react that way? Like, why are you trying to get rid of all the photos of him? And essentially it came out that he was this like, Irish Catholic dad, super, super strict, super like focus on what was right or wrong, um, really controlling of her and quite abusive to her. I don't know to what level, but we're talking like hitting quite a bit and all this kind of stuff. So it all starts to make sense, right? Like she's brought up into this really strict Catholic family, um, not allowed any freedom, told she's wrong the whole time, threatened with abuse, wants to just escape. And you're just like, okay, so you're trying to come to terms with that. You're trying to come up with your own defense mechanisms um, and you're taking some of those values with you. And this is just me mapping it out in terms of my analysis of it. But ever since that moment, I think she's been on this mission to prove to everyone she's better than her dad made her feel. So she cares a lot about what others think of us and what others think of her. So... She, she's the kind of person that will talk a lot about money and 
how well we've done and the fact I went to a grammar school and the fact I did a master's. So if I'm there with her group of friends, she'll almost show me off. She'll be like, oh, she managed to do this. She managed to do that. How amazing. She did this in hockey. And I'm always there like, oh God, stop speaking. Um, but obviously being gay isn't accepted by all. And so I think part of it was her being like, oh God, how's that going to look? Which is, I guess, goes back to a comment, keep off Facebook. Yeah. Um, I think that's very telling. It's very telling. And it's this, I think we spoke about earlier about the need to understand and awareness. And that's not just within yourself, but it's also within the characters in your life that have caused you sometimes the most pain. And, you know, also, you know, joy as well. It's good to understand why someone's happy, yeah. um, what feels them in a good way. But did you feel like that understanding of your mum helped you come to terms with the reality of what you felt for those years? 100%. Um, I was able to see her as a, another human being. Like you, you come to realize your parents are humans and they have their own histories and they're just trying to work out for themselves. And um, from that moment, I just tried my hardest to get to know her more and almost like give her a second chance. Cause part of the problem was I had these like childhood habits and reactions to anything she did. So the moment she'd have a drink even if she didn't get absolutely wasted when I like would come back from university or even from London, I would suddenly just like switch and it's like unacceptable, can't deal with it, walk out the room. And then she so just can't ever build that relationship. So I was trying really hard to be present, have conversations, bring her back into my life. So she doesn't didn't really know what I was up to and all this kind of stuff. So um, yeah, just trying to humanize her. And um, just because I obviously am, saying a lot of almost negative things about my mum, just to bring it to a more positive point. Over time, uh, we've been working with her, like my sister, my dad, to try and get her sober. And we're at a point, like it's ups and downs with this type of thing, isn't it? Um, we're at a point where she is technically sober. Um, there's a few times she's fallen off the wagon, but she's getting to the point of sobriety. And there was this one, Sounds like the word I'm going to use is pathetic when I talk about it because it's such a, for everyone else, an insignificant moment, but it was one of the most significant moments I'd say in my life, really. Um, I, so I went back maybe like a few months ago and she'd just been sober for a bit. And it was basically the first time in years that I've seen her sober. And it was like, I was sat there, we went out for lunch and I was looking across the, like the table and I was like, weird that she's not having a drink like god this feels unnatural and then she was like really quiet and just like asking normal questions not repeating herself engaging being able to have a back and forth conversation I was like oh god it was like really unnerving um and so like I was really like taken aback by it and quite emotional then I came home and just like threw all my stuff in my bedroom ready to chill for a few days and she just came in with this like bunch of daffodils and just placed them down and went, oh, I thought you would like these, probably be nice for the room and just walked out. And I like burst into tears. Um, and I, I really want to get a tattoo of like a daffodil yeah. here or something. But um, like, this is probably the first time, first couple of times I've been able to say it without like crying. Oh my God, I'm, I'm getting emotional. Um, but it was just one of the, so every action my mum has taken throughout most of my life in my interpretation of it anyway, is 
so she can hide the fact she's drinking. So send me out the house so she can have a drink or it's to try and show me off in some way. So I think you should go to that grammar school because it will look good. Um, this like felt like the first moment she's done something and it's just been about like trying to make me happy. And I'm not saying there hasn't been other times she has, but there was something about that moment, her trying to be sober, me having done all the work, trying to understand her, be a better person myself. And I was just like, wow, she she got me some flowers. <laughs> but it's a, it's a sign that she cares. Yeah, yeah. I like That's fundamentally what you need. You know, it's mm. like there are certain buckets that need to be filled as a child in order to feel valued. And ideally that would happen throughout your, your younger years, but it's signs that they're starting to be, you know, gradually, you know, one cup of water at a time, be filled, etc. And you're right, it almost feels like it's coming back around full circle slightly. Mm. Um, you know, I think you're, you're aware that I've had a similar situation, but later in life. Mm. Um, and I feel listening to your story actually fortunate that it happened at a time when I was already on my way to try and figure out who I am <laughs> so that it didn't have that core fundamental reaction. But the biggest impact it's had on me since and being aware of this was how their actions are directly correlated to what they've been through in their own life. And it was only really through that understanding that I was able to start to have that forgiveness. Yeah. And I think maybe where it differs in our stories is because you also need to see kind of like action in terms of now, because it had such an important impact in you when you were younger. Mm. Whereas for me, I guess I had, I had that when I was younger, but then it was, let's say later in life when, you know, the, the, the ties started to break down. Um, how has that situation impacted your relationship with alcohol now? So I think now positively, I think, um, but I definitely over the years had to have a word with myself. I've luckily never got to the point where I would like drink two bottles of wine by myself every night. Um, and I think that's just like genuinely because I had stuff like sport <laughs> um, to focus on and like um, fun work jobs and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I like, for some reason, there's just luckily, like, thank God, there's just something that I've had a few seeds of motivation that stuck with me because I think you can sometimes like give up. And there's definitely been points where I have, but ultimately just had things that have kept me on the straight and narrow to some point because I need to show up on a pitch. Um, yeah. or show up to work. Um, <laughs> but because I've just done a lot of reading on it, a lot of understanding of it, a lot of kind of reflection on myself and what I want my boundaries to be, um, I think I've landed in quite a positive place with it. I do enjoy to have a drink and I do enjoy to let go. And I'm, I've got a group of friends that love to like go to DJ nights and all this kind of stuff. And I, I don't think I'll ever give that up. But the the win for me is that I genuinely feel like I have control over it and a grip on it and understanding of when enough is enough. Um, so 
I don't know how necessarily, but for some reason, even though, yes, probably drink more than you should in a week. Um, who doesn't? In oh, I think the answer is technically you shouldn't drink anything yeah, every week. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I do have a good grip on it. And I think this just, yeah, it just comes from in life. You just have to diversify as much as humanly possible. So um, have lots of things going on. Um, whether it's sport, whether it's projects, whether it's doing something creative, whether it's work, just so you have lots of different focus that keeps giving you a motivation to do more than just drink. Mm. I wonder whether witnessing that behavior when you were younger as well actually forced you to create more regulation in your life later on as well, because you can you can actually see what happens if that behavior starts to repeat and mm. you lose control over substance, et cetera. Mm. Um, I know that's certainly true for me in terms of I, I kind of never really thought about how much I was drinking or how much, you know, I was like going out and, and the balance because I loved playing sport. I love feeling fit and healthy, but I also loved going out and having mm -hmm. a drink. And it wasn't until that, that moment where I, you know, d discovered the substance abuse in, in my family where I was like, shit, I actually need to like re recalibrate here. Mm -hmm. like I need to reevaluate what, I can do and how much I can get away with and um, what my priorities are, et cetera. And yeah. I feel like that alone is, you know, again, so important to understand when you're, when you're this age yeah. um, and starting the work at this age generally is, is vital. Mm. Yeah. Just like some level of self-awareness and um, yeah, as we say, like, I think because both of us care about our fitness and our health, it does help motivate in the opposite way. Um, and stop you having that maybe last drink or have that night off and stuff. Yeah, it's just, it all, because it's so easy. This is the thing like addiction, alcoholism, it's a disease. It could get any of us and you just got to be on the ball every day. And this is why stuff like um, my morning routine to this day, and unless like I'm staying, like I'm on holiday, I'm staying at someone's house or whatever, I every day do it because you just have to consistently remind yourself no, this is what I want to achieve. This is where I'm at. These are the personas that I want to present to be my best self. Because if you forget about it for a little while, you kind of snowball and suddenly like, yeah, you're having a bender all weekend and you're like, how did I get here? Like every morning you need to be like, no, remember, this is where we're at. This is what we want to achieve. Yeah, and I think it's important to highlight as well that substance abuse is often the tip of the iceberg in terms of the problems. Um, you know, that's that's what we see above the surface of the water is, you know, alcoholism or if it's drugs for some people, whatever it may be, um, you know, it even could be on the, on, I guess on that lighter again, term, it could be a shopping addiction, it could be mm. a gambling addiction, et cetera. I mean, that's obviously not lighter, but um, that's what we see. But underneath the surface, there is a whole load that's driving that behavior and therefore, you know, I think if anyone ever felt like they were slipping down that road, it's important to understand that, that that's on the surface and that you have to go and seek help of some sort, yeah. um, you know, have that community around you. It's not sort of like one size fits all, but yeah, it's, it's important that, you know, it's, it's not just a problem with alcohol. It's a problem with internal functions and how you you know, approach and you read life and how you've been built in your situations. And there's so many different dynamics going on at the same time. And you can't figure that out on your own. 100% and like slightly going off tangent, but just because 
I guess we've both been through something like this and it's important to say like if you're yeah you're dealing with someone that's going through some kind of addiction some struggles um I also had a friend that had a gambling addiction which was weirdly quite funny because uh, she would joke about it all the time but then we're like no you probably yeah, stopped yeah. losing thousands <laughs> of pounds um but yeah you do need to understand the person and see them as a human and have that level of like obviously they don't want this for themselves and there's a lot of stuff that's gone on and they need to unpack but also you do need to protect yourself with it um I think I became better in a lot of ways when I was able to escape that environment for a bit and like clear my head and then come back as a stronger person then try and tackle the issue and help my mum out in any way I could um, but to be that support system, you have to focus on yourself and make sure you're not dragging yourself down and like crying every night and yeah, just having no energy. Um, be yeah, protective of yourself so you can be protective of them as well. Mm. Yeah, it's a difficult balance, isn't it? Between walking away for your own self-preservation, but then having the guilt, you know, of yeah. something happening. Constant guilt. Yeah, exactly. Versus sticking with it despite any of your own health or, or interest and yeah obviously it's it's an absolute minefield but this yeah. is why it's so important to get you know external help as 100%. well whether that's rehab or therapy or you know yeah any anyone licensed and qualified i mean we're both not therapists we're not oh, we're psychologists not, um, <laughs> <laughs> we try and be, I think. <laughs> no but but i think we're speaking from a from a situation where we've both been through something similar i think mm. it's important to identify that yeah this is our experience but again everyone's is unique and 100%. there are absolutely um you know, like licensed and valuable sort of like methods of help. Yeah. I'll probably link a few in the description given that it's been quite a big topic. Yeah, um, But yeah, you know, it's always important to seek professional help in, in that regard. There are people that will know, know a lot more than, than we do in this situation. Yeah, a million percent, couldn't agree more. Yeah, so we. I feel like COVID then was a big turning point for you. And I really wanted to touch on your more like career aspects and mainly because that's how we were first introduced mm. and again like we started this podcast with uh you always challenging the status quo and yeah again having these like just like different sort of ways of thinking i guess and that is something that i have massively learned from um i think it's safe to say anyone that will know me will have definitely heard something that i've quoted <laughs> from you um it was Sorry, a run everyone. yeah <laughs> it was a running joke in in my team the fact that <laughs> I'm always like, anyway, um, <laughs> so my question to you is, who have you learned from? So the beautiful thing, many, many, many people. Mm. Um, I think if you can get as many role models as humanly possible, you'll be a bit more net positive. So I have learned from a lot of good managers across my career, a lot of bad managers I definitely don't want to be like because I remember how they made me feel um I've learned from captains in my sports teams good and bad as well um I've learned from being a captain of a sports team and also a lot of my sporting heroes so I'd say like in terms of management I've learned on all those various aspects I've had a lot of positive managers who it's never really been about their skill set it's never been like, oh, they're really amazing at shortlisting or really amazing at that presenting or whatever. It's just their mindset and their vibe and how they come across and how they've nurtured me. 
so they've all had different styles and that's the thing you don't all have to be the same but it's the fact they've given me the time of day sat me down in different scenarios been able to understand who I am and how I tick and get the best out of me based on that um and I've had managers that have given me philosophies that I try and take into my work today so it's all just stuff around like make sure you surround yourself by heroes if you get any choice hire people that you think are better than you all these kind of things that just give you this motivation mentality to surround yourself by a solid team which will help you progress as a manager as well and help you do your best work um i think all of them yeah going back to giving the time it doesn't necessarily have to be every week we have a one on one and we say how are you how's it going it's like in the moments that matter like in that moment where you're young and you're doing your first presentation they're like okay this is a big thing for them even though we're here and we've done 10,000 presentations for them this is the scariest thing in the world and acknowledging that and just being like right let's go for a coffee right and without saying anything just be like okay just try and present it to me now and then you're like oh okay I'll give it a go and then you do it and you fumble and they're like that wasn't so bad was it and you're like oh, okay no it wasn't and like if you can do it to me one-on-one you can do it to these strangers over here and like helping me with my mindset and all this kind of stuff and then just pushing me as well so when you're there and you're like oh god I really don't want to do this presentation or you go into something and you think you're not going to have to speak and then they're like I think you're ready for this I'm going to give this bit to you and you're like no 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 they're like you are ready and you're going to do it and just throwing you in the deep end but they know that you'll be able to swim in those scenarios. And even if you don't, like it's in a safe space to fail in. So that kind of balance there. So it's just been people that have essentially understood me and pushed me in the right way. And I think one common theme with all of them as well is their flexibility, which is um, very important to me as a manager. I don't believe in being super, super, super strict or micromanaging. I lean on the side of trust until I can't trust you. And um, as long as you get that work done, set up your day however best you can to make you thrive the most. So yes, if you want to take two hours at lunchtime to go to the gym and reset and feel amazing, do that. But make sure you start an hour earlier, you finish an hour later or just get your work done. Um, Or if you've got like a doctor's appointment or whatever, that flexibility can be there. Um, as long as we have that mutual understanding and respect that um, you're going to get your work done, then otherwise just thrive and be your best self. I think all those things, to be honest, all yeah. things that I've then implemented into my own team. <laughs> but but I'd argue mainly because I've I've seen the way that it's worked and I've you know been, literally been a part of that philosophy and you know, it's worked wonders for me. I enjoy coming to work. You know that's that's it was such a key fundamental pillar of why I enjoyed work was because I had that flexibility um, and absolutely it's all based on trust um, and I think you know we've both been in situations where it's been tested at times mm-hmm. and that's that's actually I think also the hallmark of, of a leader of a manager is when it does go wrong when your philosophy doesn't work then what yeah. how do you adapt how do you how do you switch and I think that's something I'm still like learning at the moment in terms of yeah I, I fundamentally believe in that but there also might be an individual where you know they join your team and and they need structure and they need process and they need to be told like I work at this time and I finish at this time and so I guess my question is like 
what would you do in that situation if someone came in and challenged your philosophy in that way? Um, so yeah, I have weird names for all the different styles, but I kind of call that the Fergie flex. Um, so taking a step back actually, so you got to kind of understand what is your like natural style as a manager? What do you want to be? Do you want to make people earn your trust? Do you want to trust them until they can't be trusted? All that kind of stuff. And then you need to work out like where you're at in terms of your company and their values and their rules. Does that style of management fit in? Because you are going to get pressure from other managers. You are going to get pressure from above if you're very different to them. And if that style of management doesn't work, you either have to decide to adapt or move somewhere else, to be honest. So once you've kind of worked out those things, then you need to understand the human you're dealing with. And um, it's stuff like working out what personality type they are. Are they, you know, the Surrounded by Idiots book? Are they red, blue, green, yellow? Um, what motivates them? When is their most productive time of day versus worst time of day? Um, what scares them? What makes them feel alive? All those kind of things. And then you began, you, know, you begin to get this kind of character build of them um, and also work out like, yeah, where you can push them and where they need some help as well. And going back to the Fergie flex, I, I can't remember if it was a documentary or another podcast or whatever, but I was listening to Ryan Giggs talk about Fergie, um, who was the yeah, manager of Manchester United. And he was there basically saying, oh, like Fergie would treat us all quite differently dependent on our personalities. So whenever I was having to go for my lunch, my dinner, whatever with the team, he would make sure I had my top button done up and I had my tie on and I looked prim and proper and he gave me like quite strict rules with it. And if I didn't have that, he would go in on me and be like, you need to do better. And then Eric Cantona would like swoop in and he'd be doing whatever he wanted, wearing some fancy clothes, just like allowing, like he was allowed to express himself a bit more, but Fergie had worked out that Ryan Giggs needed that structure and needed those rules to make him the best version of himself. Um, and then Cantona, he needed a little bit of like leg room to be himself so he could then thrive on the pitch and felt like he owned his own space. So yeah, obviously you need some baseline structure and values that kind of syncs with who you are as a person. But beyond that, it's like, who is that person? And within the kind of bandwidth of what's allowed, how can I let them flex who hmm. they are? I'm seeing some synergy between your upbringing and the way that you manage people in terms of your incredibly people focused and people centric. And I say that by you really focus on who the individual is and how they tick and need to understand what they do so that you can then best adopt your approach like accordingly. And I think some managers, and again, it works differently in different ways, but some managers have an approach and they expect everyone to fit within that approach. Whereas your philosophy has always been kind of almost the other way around. You have got these fundamental pillars, but then there's flex and there's room to breathe. And I mean, I, I'm obviously biased because I believe in the same thing, but I <laughs> believe- I can suck you. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. She's my account director, by the way. So, uh, but like realistically, that has got to be a better way of doing things, right? Yeah. Like that's got to be the best way. 100%. And so there's, it's difficult with managing as well. I'd say like if you start to get above six people that you're managing, for example, you do unfortunately have to start treating people a little bit like a number because you just, you can't, 
provide the full manager service to everyone because you just don't have enough hours in the day. So um, it's, it goes down to me just always trying to mold my surroundings and environment to what suits me and my vibe best now. So just making sure I'm not managing tons and tons of people so I can give them the support they need. Um, and also working in places that allow me to give that flexibility to people to manage their own time and their own day and work on their personal development and all these kind of things. Um, and the, the beauty of, I guess, um, this whole concept of if you get a choice to build your own team, surround yourself by people that are better than you and you can learn off yourself is that I'm, I stay quite humble. I, I think I've made tons of mistakes as a manager. I don't have the answer to everything. I get it wrong a lot of the time and just being able to understand that, yeah, sometimes you do get it wrong and getting that feedback from someone and being like, yeah, I, I did do that wrong and how can we do it better? And then improving um, actually gives me a lot of life and it makes the job more interesting because it's on that personal development journey as well, if you allow it to be. Yeah, I think you put an unnecessary amount of pressure on yourself if you set this expectation that because of your seniority, you're perfect yeah because then anything that goes slightly wrong it's then challenging your identity and that's part of your identity mm. and i've seen that quite a lot actually in terms of you know again a big a big fall often comes from something relatively small happening within um you know relative positions and then yeah it people kind of like become very defensive very quickly but mm. that's always been a great thing about your managerial style is it's collaborative and it's open and if there is a problem, it's how can we solve it, not how can I solve it. And again, this is like feeling like everyone's bought in. Yeah. And I feel like that idea of buy-in within a team is vital, whether they buy into your approach as a manager or the work that they do day to day, they need something to buy into. And 100%. again, along that like individualistic approach, it's gonna be different for various people. Buy-in could be financial for some people and that's fine. Like that that's a valuable thing as long as you're aware mm. um buy-in could be yeah like the manager like their philosophy the flex the freedom um working hours etc but yeah everyone needs something to buy into yeah 100 percent. and i think it's one thing that we've both actually learned together when we've been working on one of our accounts as well um <laughs> once again i've named it after like a, a sporting hero oh, yeah. it's like the ben stokes experience yeah um, so he's obviously a cricketer, now the captain of the England team, and he's just changed up the mentality of the team. And it's about fun and showmanship and everyone just rallying together, pushing themselves, sometimes getting it wrong, but having a whale of a time at the same time and fighting to the end and just bringing this like really big energy. And I think we've been working on some of our client accounts and times have been really tough at times. like. Um, the pressure's been on, we've been overstretched and we got into the habit, um, I think probably more so me than you, of being like, oh, the client, oh, so annoying. Coming in and being like, oh, I can't deal with this anymore. And forgetting that we have such an effect on the rest of the team and how they feel. So they're starting to feel this negative energy. They're starting to feel negative towards the client. And I think you picked it up in one of the meetings. You're like, oh God, they said something pretty like negative to the client there and it was like quite a forced pushback and everyone just seems a bit miserable how did this happen and we just sat down and we said should we just 
have a bit of fun and like celebrate for like, let's do, do it for a week. Just smiles, say positive thing about people's work, about the client, all this kind of stuff. And within the week, everyone was really happy, working harder, doing amazing work. And so you do have a responsibility as a manager, even if you are feeling a little bit shit to bring it and um, have the vibe that you are, whether that's like fun, bubbly, positive, obviously being professional and serious when you need to be, but just something that's motivating people in the right way and not negatively affecting. Yeah, it's just being optimistic. I remember that time quite vividly as well. Mm -hmm. And I think the the reason was, was because we were also really struggling at the same time in terms of, I think, you know, personal stuff as well, but also, just on that account, there were quite a few issues and it felt like, you know, again, I used to saying all the time, but mountains were molehills or mm. molehills were mountains. Um, and yeah, as soon as you start to, you know, identify the fact that you are a leader, like people do look to you for how they feel. They do regulate off mm. your emotion. Um, you know, I've got that responsibility and therefore you are accountable for setting the direction that you'd like the team to go in, both in like an emotional and professional environment. Um, It's it's really interesting. It's really interesting. And also it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So um, if you are feeling a little bit down, a little bit stressed and you kind of, and you have the energy to force yourself into something a bit more positive, you end up feeling more positive at the back of it so it's worth doing it's not like you're trying to force yourself to be someone else just like give it a go smile have a bit of banter and then suddenly you're like okay things aren't so bad so it's helpful to you as a person as well as your team and I think a lot of the work I did with um, because our company were very nice and gave us some life coaching um, over the past few years and I've done a lot of work on like my alter ego allies um, whatever you like to call them, ambassadors, some people call them. I call them my boys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. That's fine. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll ignore that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just being able to lean on these different personas in different scenarios um, has really helped me. So um, when I'm in quite a serious scenario, rather than being like, oh God, trying to struggle for it, like, okay, I'm going to bring in Bill and Ellie. And then we're just going to go in and it's all going to be serious. We don't need emotion in this. We just need to get the job done. Um, or it might be yeah, one of my more fun personas um, who kind of is all about the team and the fun and like getting to know the human and just being able to bring these people in at different scenarios. It becomes second nature and it's something you have to work at. But once you get there, um, it is possible. Um, so I recommend everyone gives it a go. Yeah, I think that's really beneficial in terms of that's definitely something I could pick up because like there are certain situations where I feel like my responsibility is just to be me no matter what. And I need to be this consistent person the entire time. Whereas in reality, it's really, it's actually quite playful and very advantageous to say, no, in this situation, I actually can be a little bit like lean lean more Mm. towards this behavior or like I could be a bit of a, you know, what's what's the word? Like eternally optimistic at all times. Um, But, that's actually really beneficial sometimes. It's good to like flex those muscles, I think. Yeah, as um, soon as you leave the house in the morning, you're playing a role. Like, that's it. Like, that is the game of life. Like, you can go back home and settle down and, and be yourself. But as soon as you go into any environment, you're playing a load of different games and the currency is normally some kind of status. So you might be playing a a knowledge game with one group of people, or you're playing like a sports game with another, or it's a power dynamic game with work. Every single scenario, 
you're playing a different role. And so why can't you be like, okay, in this game, I'm this person and just have fun with it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, that is so true. Again, I maybe this is where our life coaching differed a little bit because a lot of my life coaching was about like f finding what your values are and using those as pillars to like, I guess, identify behavior. And like, so you go from inside to out versus outside to in that I was very guilty of. And um, I think maybe that's slant skewed my view of, of how to behave in certain situations because like one of my values is like loyalty. Another one is empathy. Another one is reciprocity. Um, I, you know, like I want to give, but I also need to receive, et cetera. Mm. So like, I look, look at those things and when I'm in times of where I don't understand what to do, I'm like, okay, what are my values? What do I draw from? But yeah, you're right. Everyone on the surface level, every single role you play is totally different. And you are a different person when you order a coffee versus right now when we're having a podcast. Mm. And I've always seen that the destination is to try and be yourself in every situation. But yeah. actually maybe it's, yeah, it's more like almost like a bit of a hack, a bit of a cheat code to, to do that. And doesn't mean you're not yourself, it's just a different part of you. Yeah, I think, so values are important. So the thing is, if um, you're in a certain game and you don't have the same superpowers, let's say, as everyone else in that game, that's sucking of energy and you can't continue to stay in that game. Um, you can have a persona that helps you get through it. So you understand the rules of that game, you know what the kind of currency exchange is for that game to make you be able to play and be a significant player in it. But if that is sucking your energy, just don't do that all the time. So it's like, if, if you absolutely hate public speaking, don't go in a role where every day you have to go to a conference and speak to 10,000 people. I mean, it'd be a good challenge for you, but if it's just gonna suck your energy and your values don't align there, you can have a persona that helps get you through that scenario, but just don't play that game all the time. Don't put that game into the PlayStation, play a different one. <laughs> um, so it's, it's that balance of like knowing your values so you can surround yourself by people that help your values, um, environments that support your values, but then having tools for when your values aren't taken into account and how do you deal with those scenarios bring out a persona that can help you with that yeah it's it's another arm to who you are values persona characters playing those characters and i think playing characters and being a different person has been like somewhat demonized in current culture mm -hmm. but uh, you know I, I don't know why but my mind instantly went to um the fact that everyone says that you're a different person around your close partner versus your friends mm. so from the like masculine point of view it's like oh the stereotype is that everyone's like you know like a bit of a lad like going around yeah. in your friendship groups and then you go back to your girlfriend and you're like oh can i have a cuddle please like <laughs> yeah. you know obviously that's very stereotypical yeah. and you know, i'd like to think that's not massively a thing anymore <laughs> but it is uh, <laughs> so that's but but it doesn't mean that you're not both people it just means that yeah you're reacting to your environment i guess yeah we're complex humans mm. like we yeah um there's different parts to us and um you always react to your environment and who you're around and, and mirror people you're around as well so it all plays into it like why does it have to be a good or bad thing yeah right. so true yeah. lorna i wanted to get you onto this podcast because you genuinely have such an amazing wealth of knowledge both in you're very well read, but also, you know, your life experiences have been incredibly impactful for you, but also, you know, 
all the people around you have felt the, the lessons that you've learned. So I think it's just important to establish and I wanted to say to you like how much of an impact you've had definitely on my life. But and and therefore, you know, on everyone that I have managed as well. So there's like kind of like that legacy. You're gonna hate me for asking you this. Oh god. But I wanted to end on something where we try and package that wealth of knowledge into one statement or one piece of advice or one philosophy. And this can be a conversation so I can help you out with it. But I guess if there's one thing that you want to try and push through for the rest of your life, what would that be? You have more influence on everything than you think you do. Um, And what I mean by that is obviously there's stuff that we can't change, but there's loads of things you can do to get yourself into a positive mindset that are pretty like quick wins that can make you feel better, um, that can make you work harder, can send you in the right direction to stuff. So just knowing that like you actually have it within yourself and there are things out there that can help you get that more positive mindset because when you're in a really, really low mindset, you're like, there's no way out of this. I don't know how I'm going to do it. So just that understanding that there's things you can do that can help you. Um, and then you can have influence on those around you in a positive way. Like I'm not talking about manipulating people, um, very much against that. Um, but you can have such a positive influence on other people by your actions and giving them the time of day or responding to them in a certain way or understanding them as a human and ultimately get everyone to a better place. It's not a zero sum game. Like if you utilize, like this goes back to psychology, right? If you utilize the things we know about yourself and the brain and how you react to things, you can be better within yourself and you can be better for other people as well. And everyone can, yeah, benefit from it. Mm. Yeah, very valuable, very valuable. Lorna, thank you so much. This really has been an incredible conversation. And again, I just want to thank you for your like open and honesty, openness and honesty to do with, you know, everything that's happened in your own life. Um, a key thing I want to, I think, leave this on is that the only way that people feel like they're not alone is if other people talk about what's happened in their life. And it's definitely a philosophy that I really want to try and instill in my community and, and everyone around me. Um, and it sounds like maybe that's something I've actually learned initially from you. So mm-hmm. um, lovely full circle moment there, but it's vital that everyone talks about things that have happened in their life the good and the bad and that there isn't just this positive front no matter what because yeah we connect within vulnerability and people go through shit all the time and no one should feel alone about it so yeah thank you so much for sharing and um yeah i hope everyone enjoys no worries and thank you to you as well like i think you've been very open and honest around all the stuff you've been going through and when i was trying to think about what I would say on this podcast and what I'd open up about, that has played into it because you were open to me. I was like, I'm gonna be fully open to you. And yeah, it's it's honestly, I'm so glad I got the opportunity to work with you, consider you a good friend now as well. And like, you genuinely inspire me every day. I'm honestly so proud of you and where you're at and where you're going, so. Thank you much so love. much. Thanks, Laura.